In today's episode of Talking Law, we talk to Edward Chan, the co-founder of Chan and Naylor. We talk about the progress of Ed's journey from working 100 hours a week in his business up to the new Nirvana, where he built the business to run itself and was able then to create a lifestyle for himself while the business ran itself. So this is essential listening for you. If you're right in the middle of building an accounting practice or indeed any business and are looking for maybe an easier way. listening to Talking Law, the podcast where business owners just like you discover how to avoid legal landmines and build value using smart legal tips. Join your host, Joanna Oki, as she cuts through the legal jargon and gives you clear and simple actionable legal strategies, which will get you optimal business results. Hi, it's Joanna Oki here and welcome back to Talking Law, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial practice, Aspect Legal. Now, today we have on the show Edward Chan, the co-founder and non-executive chairman of the accounting practice, Chan and Naylor. Ed is a regular keynote speaker in many seminars around Australia and is recognized as one of Australia's foremost authorities on tax and property. He's co-authored four best-selling books in subjects covering how to reduce tax, creating wealth for life through property investing, and then moving on to running a successful business in his book, From Small to Great. And in today's discussion, we're talking all about that theme, how to run a successful small business, moving from small to a business that can really serve your lifestyle needs while creating efficiencies within its practice. So without further ado, let's head into our discussion with Ed. Hi, Ed. Thank you so much for coming on to Talking Law to chat to us today. You're very welcome, Jana. I'm looking forward to this. And uh, I do apologize up front. I've got a, a bit of a cold, so I'm a little bit croaky in the voice. I do apologize. No worries at all. No worries at all. Well, look, Ed, I guess where I wanted to start today is maybe giving um, our listeners a little bit of a background of who you are, what you've done, and who Chan and Naylor is as an organization. Okay. Well, I started, Chan and Naylor is an, an accounting firm, and we do you know tax returns and financial planning and finance and uh, financial services, I guess it's evolved into. But, you know, our main business is accounting, tax returns and so forth. I guess I started off, I started it uh, just working from home and people asking me to do their tax returns, just family and friends. And it sort of grew and grew. And then I left and I got a, got my own office. And just from word of mouth, it just grew around 30, 40% a year. And, and, wow, you that's know, soon, gross. <laughs> oh, yeah, just, so, oh, just word of mouth. Just from word of mouth. Wow. Yeah, no, no advertising or anything. And it got to a stage where I was just really out of control. I had so much work coming through and I was working around 100 hours a, a week. Yeah. And I just couldn't see it that being sustainable because I was, I was only in my early 30s. And, you know, I, I couldn't see me lasting another couple of years, let alone all the way through to, to a retirement. And I was at a crossroads. And, and I guess just stepping back at that point, how many years had you had the business at this point? Probably about three 
three, three years. four, I suppose. Yeah. yeah three, and I guess four like years all and... business owners, you push it hard for, you know, there's only a certain period of time you can push it so hard for. That's right. That's right. And, and you go through this cycle and if you're good at what you do and, you know, you'll, you'll get a lot of referrals mm. uh, and then you've got to then go from being, you know, doing the work and I call it grinding, minding and finding and you need all three skills to do that. But when you first come out, whether you're an accountant or an electrician or a plumber or whatever it is, you know, you're on the tools, you're doing the work, you're doing the, doing the grinding work and, and you're very comfortable in doing that because that's what your trade is, if you like. And of course, when the business starts to grow, you've got to evolve into more running the business and that's a different skill set. You've got to learn to manage people, manage um systems, manage clients, and it becomes more management, managing of everything. And we weren't taught to do that. A lot of us struggle, and I did. I, you know, I was I was trying to hold the whole thing together by brute force, and uh, you know, just working very long hours and and that kind of thing. And and it's just not sustainable, and and certainly it's not scalable. And and when someone says to me, I I don't want to grow anymore, what they're really saying to me is that they're associating growth with the pain that goes with the growth. And uh, so they go, well, I don't want all that pain, so I, I won't grow anymore. I'll just stay the size that I am. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, of course. If you, I call that having a job, and because the definition of a job is when you stop working, your income stops. Now, if that's what you're happy with, then naturally just just do that. But I I really wasn't happy with that because I didn't want to be a prisoner in my own business. I I wanted more choices in my life. So I wanted to be able to, you know, if I wanted to work in it, I I wanted to have the choice to do that. And also I wanted to have the choice to do the things I enjoy doing. And I, I really enjoyed growing the business, talking to people, you know, the finding side of the business, not the grinding and not the minding, but the finding and and so when my flow was. Um, So I was at a crossroad at this stage and I didn't know whether to sell the business. And if I, you know, often people sell the business and they change what they do, but they don't change how they do it. And they go into a new industry. And then within a few years, they replicate what they did in the first industry, in the second industry, and then they're back to where they were. So, for example, you know, you might say, well, accounting is no good. It's greener on the other side. I'll, I'll sell that and I'll, I don't know, I'll buy a delicatessen or something. And then if you don't change how you do business, because the how in the business is the same. The what in the business is different. You know, you change what you do, but how you do it is, is pretty much the same. And you'll run the second business the way you did the first. So I sort of, luckily, I, I sort of realized that if I change industry, if I sold the business and change industry, I'm just putting a Band-Aid on the problems I was, I was experiencing. So I really needed to change how I was doing it. And until I understood what the how was, then, you know, things were still a struggle. But at least I had, you know, the, I guess the wisdom, if you like, or the vision to work towards this rather than just doing it by brute force. It's such an interesting comment you make because we do a lot of work in business sales and acquisitions. And I certainly, I really do see the emotion in many sellers of businesses of this just pure exhaustion, <laughs> you know, yes, having built exactly. this and getting it to a particular phase where often, you know, it's quite successful. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes the revenue increases, but the costs have increased at the same or worse, um, higher speed. But it's just this exhaustion and this belief that selling the business and moving to the next phase will contain all the answers. So I think you're really hitting on something that, that I have seen quite often in sellers of businesses who are then moving on to, in inverted commas, the um, the next thing. Yes. When you say 
often people say, you know, I'm running a really successful business, but if you want to really define what success is, success is, yes, you know, it's got to be making money, the turnover's got to go, be going up, but, but you've also got to have a balance in your life. You know, it, it can't be successful because you're working 100 hours a week. It's not successful because of the business, it's successful because of the brute force that you're putting into it. And that, that to me is not success. It has to run by itself and it has to be profitable by itself and it has to grow um, by itself, not because you're pushing it. So often, you know, when they sell, it's because they, as you correctly said, that they're exhausted. They've been the reason why the business is successful. And I, and I use this analogy that, you know, they go out there catching butterflies with a butterfly net, but it's better to build a garden that attracts the butterflies to you. You know, a garden that attracts the butterflies that works without you, not because of you. You know, and the analogy is a really great one, but then I can just hear in my listeners' heads how, Ed, what is the secret sauce? <laughs> how on <laughs> earth do you create this garden? Because it's not like businesses aren't trying. What was the turning point for you? What did you do differently when you had this epiphany, I guess, at this crossroads? Yes. Well, it's not one thing. It's, it's a whole lot of things. Firstly, the business has to be at a certain critical mass to be able to afford the resources that's required to, to run the business. And I mentioned grinders, minders and finders. You need all three skills in a business. You can't have one without the other two and you can't have two without the third. But all three of them have to be there. So in other words, you've got to have the finding side, which is brings the work in without sales coming through. You don't you don't survive. You've got to have minding skills to manage the whole thing because without management and what I call managing traffic flow through the organization, then it's going to be chaotic. All right? And then you've got to have the grinders there to do actually do the work. Now, what I didn't understand when I was smaller was that I thought it was like school. You know, we're at school, if you're good at maths and you're not good at English, you get a tutor in to help you with your English to bring your English skills up, as an example. But at work, you don't do that. So if you're not good at a particular thing, you don't try and you don't do it. You just bring in somebody else that's good at doing that. So he complements you. So you stay in your flow. So if you're a grinder and you're a very, very good grinder, don't try and be a finder. Bring a finder in to complement you and then you stay in your flow. However, to do that, you have to be at a certain size. And uh, without, you know, critical mass, you won't have be able to pay for the resources to do that. So it's a, it's a combination of getting up to a certain size and also to find the right people in the right seat and, and keep them in their flow. When they're in their flow, they're really happy. And when they're really happy, they're really productive. And when they're really happy and productive, they stay a long time. And when they stay a long time, you retain that intellectual property that's critical to your organization. So it's, it's not one thing. As I said, it's, it's a combination of a whole lot of things. But the, the fundamental basis is to understand that complementary skills builds this business and don't try and do something that you're not, not good at. So for example, I'm a good finder. I'm not a good grinder. And I can do grinding, but I'm just too slow. The, the people around me are so much more productive than I, I am as a grinder. So, you know, they might take half an hour to do something and I might take, you know, one and a half hours to do it. So obviously <laughs> that's not my seat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so I bring someone in to do that in half an hour rather than me trying to do it in an hour and a half. But then I can sell. So I can talk to people. I can, you know, sell the business. I can look for opportunities. I can grow the business. And that's, that's where my seat is. And then, and of course, as I said earlier, you've, you've got to have a certain size before you can pay for everybody's wages. So, uh, and often, when you look at a business, you know, is it that they haven't reached a critical mass yet? Is it because they don't understand? Is it because they don't have the management skills? Because, 
you know, they've got to grow from the grinding to the minding. That's the first stage. You know, you go into the minding. So for me, you know, I because I did really good work and I communicated very well with my clients and so forth, they just recommended me. And I just, I didn't have to go out looking for, for the work. I just did a good job and they recommended heaps of new clients to me. And, and you know, I had to learn how to manage all of that. And, and But some businesses need to do the finding. They need to advertise. They need to do marketing. They need to do those kind of things to bring the work in. So it's, it's, a, it's those three things that you've got to manage together that it, that is the secret to you know to the business success. It took a long time to to identify all that. And when you talk about this critical mass, this critical size, what size is that? So you know, are okay. there certain revenue levels that are indicative yes. of what you should be doing next? Yes, like every industry is different. In, in accounting, is it's around eight hundred thousand in turnover to about a mil. And now, in um, for example, if you're running a um, property management business, you know how they they manage property properties. You need three hundred rent properties. That's the critical mass to get to before you've got the money coming through to pay for all the resources that's required to run that business. And then beyond that, it's profitable. Under that, it's not profitable and you're only barely making wages. In accounting, it's the same. You know, around 600000 the, the partner is just making a, a wage and uh, there's no profits, very little profits. But beyond that, it starts to make a profit and that's in accounting. But every business is different. So you'd have to look at the, you know, the business that the market that it's in and, uh, you know, they've all got different critical masses. You do, I know, a lot of work with accountants. And so let's talk about the accounting space then. So you say the first level is this 800 to 800K to a million space. If an accounting practice has hit that level, then what's the first thing that you would recommend to them next? What's the next step to be thinking about now that they're at that sort of critical mass, I guess. Most firms get to about, and, and we're talking about accounting, most firms get to about a million, a million to 1.2 million, and they hemorrhage. So the, the firms, if it's a $5 million firm, there's five partners. If there's a $2 million firm, it's there's two partners. They all tend to hemorrhage at about a million dollars. So they've got to change how they're doing it. And if they don't change how they're doing it, uh, generally what happens is that to, in order for them to grow, they'll just bring another partner in. And we see articles in a paper where, you know, one large firm has pinched another partner from another large firm and it's, you know, it's like a, it's a great reward sort of thing. But their, their model is using the partners as finders. And uh, the problem with that model is if you take the finder out of there, that's the end of the growth of the business. So I've never liked that model. So I've changed it to instead of having the partners as the, the butterfly catchers, if you like. We've built a garden that attracts the butterflies to us so that I'm not dependent on the, the individuals to bring work through the door. Um, so our marketing and a system, our, our garden, so if you like, is, is bringing the, the leads to the organization. And you're going to then change the, your organization chart. So most accountants, for example, managing this traffic flow, in an accounting firm, there's two types of traffic. There's uh, communication traffic, things like uh, emails, phone calls, meetings, strategy work, advice, and then there's 
doing the work traffic. And the two different skills required for that. So not, not everybody has the interpersonal skills and the communication skills to manage the, the communication traffic. And then to do the work, you need you know, grinding skills. And they're, they're two different people. And often accountants mix the two up and they're trying to look for this person. They can do everything. Mm. They're quick at the work. They never make mistakes. They've got great personalities. They can speak to everybody. They've got good communication skills. Well, it's very hard to find that kind of person. And then often, you know, they say to me, I can't find any staff. It's because of the way they've set up their organization chart and they're looking for that kind of a person. And I call that, they've set up their team structures as, as shallow and wide rather than narrow and deep. And when you go narrow and deep, you separate the two tasks. So the, the person who's got the interpersonal skills, they just deal with the clients on that level. They don't get into the grinding at all. And then you hire the people who just do the grinding because they're not good at the communication side, but they're a very valuable member of the organization because they can do the work very, very quickly. They may not have the skills to talk to clients, but they can do the work really, really well. And you keep them separated so that the person who's got really good communication skills can deal with the client and talk to the client. And, and tax is very complicated. I mean, we often use terms that the clients don't understand, you know, Division 7A and debit loan accounts and you know, those kind of things. And Grinder is not good at, you know, saying it's not debtors, it's people that owe you money. It's a debit loan account is you've taken money from the business and you owe the company the money. They, they can't communicate that way. They just talk technical terms and the, and the clients don't understand. And when I was getting all these new clients coming through, uh, Joanna, they used to say to me, you're the only accountant I've ever understood. And, you know, I've, I was always been amused by that. And I used to say to them, well, if you didn't understand them, why didn't you just ask them? And they said, well, yeah, I was just yeah. too embarrassed. I was too embarrassed to ask them. This is the thing with law as well. You're absolutely right. It How do you take these concepts and make them accessible? Because what's the point if your clients can't understand them? What's the point in what you're creating in the background, you know, if... Um, if you're not bringing your clients along. Yes, and technical people like us, whether you know it's legal, it's accounting, it's IT or medicine, technical people tend to speak technical language. And the, the person who's successful isn't the really smart technical person. It's actually the person who's got really good communication skills yeah. and who can get the message across to the client. And that, that's the only thing I have. I'm not a rocket scientist or had these uh, fantastic tax minimization <laughs> structures or you know nothing like that. It was just I was able to communicate and uh, explain to the client what the hell was going on because tax is so complicated yeah, and yeah. it's constantly changing, you know. And I guess in that is obviously this strategy that you've been talking about, which I think is such a good strategy of rather than trying to find that superstar all-round, you know, amazing person that you'll be competing with every other employer for, you know, yeah. start to get really clear about maybe the specializations within what people are working so that you have more spread in terms of being able to bring employees who sit in particular specializations, I guess, is that what you mean by the narrow and deep? Yes, narrow and deep. So it's the secret in your ability to scale because once someone says to me, I don't want to grow anymore because they associate the pain with the growth, right? But to be able to grow without pain, you've got to get your team structure right. You've got to get this narrow and deep structure so that the flow, and I call it water running through a pipe. If the water, if there's no blockages in the pipe and the water flows through the pipe, then everything works really beautifully. But if there's a blockage down the pipe, the water comes back and hits the owner in the face and all the work comes back onto them. And what I mean by that is that 
in that pipeline that's required to do, there's a production line, if you like, and there's different people in this production line to do the work. And if you don't get the right experience level down this line, there's going to be a blockage. As soon as there's a blockage, it comes back and hits you in the face. So, for example, if you don't have someone that's skillful enough to finish the work off and you've got too many juniors down the pipeline, then guess what? All the work comes back to you to finish it off. If you've got too many skillful people down there or too ex- you know, very experienced people and you don't have a lower end people to do the lower end work, then what happens is that you're finding it, you're writing time off your invoices or you end up charging the client or overcharging the client and the client gets upset. And it comes back to you not managing your business and you're just passing your own inefficiencies onto the client. And either you overcharge the client or you start writing time off or the staff member is working really long hours trying not to put too much time on the timesheet for the client. It just doesn't work. And there's a penalty all the way down there, you know, whether it's the the owner writing time off or the the client getting overcharged or the staff member feeling guilty and he or she works back for you know, long hours to get this work done. You know, that's a symptom of a problem. The problem is not getting their, their production team working efficiently and effectively. And it's this narrow and deep versus shallow and wide team structure. And I know you now work with, obviously you have many accountants in Chan and Naylor and many partners who help run the business. And I know you also mentor many accounting practices as well, which I want to come to in a minute because I'd like to talk about some of what you're doing now. But I guess just in terms of examples, I'd love to hear some examples of how you've worked with, you know, people, various practices and seen a turnaround and and what they did, what that process was that they followed to get that turnaround. Well, firstly, you know, I, I went from working 100 hours now to there's 12 offices around Australia and I haven't worked there since I was 42. So that was over 18 years ago. Wow. And the whole place just works by itself. And because all the systems are in, the processes are in, you know, look, it's taken a little while to get it all in place, but it now pretty much works by itself. Now, You're now, living firm- the dream. This is the- <laughs> anyone who's read the, uh, uh, the E-Myth, right? <laughs> you mentioned the E-Myth. That's been a book that's been instrumental in my you know, transition. And I guess the difference is I, I actually implemented it and a lot of people read it, but they don't implement it. But I, I went to that extent of actually implementing a lot of the stuff that's in there. But, but of course, it's a great start. And then there's there's a lot more beyond that. And whilst I'm talking about accountants, this actually applies for small businesses because the how, because how you do it in a small business is exactly the same as the how you do it in accounting practice. So I've got a really good friend who runs a shop fitting business. And when he left his employer, he asked me to help him. And and so he knew that he knew how to do shop fitting. He knew the technical thing of the shop fit, but he didn't know how to run a business. So exactly the same as the accounting firm in terms of, you know, the, the organization board, your production team, your sales team, all that kind of stuff. And today he's doing, you know, I think he was, uh, the last count was over $20, $25 million. Wow. And he's got like 30 staff. And he said to me, like, Ed, I, I couldn't have done this without the systems and the structures and the flow and the, the education and the leadership. And we weren't taught to lead. And when you get into that role, you've got to lead. And if you don't lead, nothing will happen. And you can't let your customers lead because they'll drag you into their nightmare and you're going to manage their expectations and, you know, and, and so forth. Because, you know, 80% of small businesses fail in the first yeah. five years. And of the 20% that's left over, 80% of them fail in the next five years. So, you know, there's, there's over 90% 
of failure. And why do they fail? Because they really don't know what they're doing. They, they know how to do the grinding, but they don't know how to do the minding. And the mining is the secret in growing and scaling the business. If you don't know how to manage the organization, you know, poor management creates so much damage right across the board. You know, you damage clients, you damage staff, staff can't get paid, creditors can't get paid. There's just so much damage across the board through poor management. So whilst I talk about accounting, these principles apply right across, you know, for small businesses. And obviously, I'm closest to accounting. And I feel that, you know, if an accountant can run their business properly, then they can pass some of that on down to their clients and it creates a domino effect across the board. So over the years, now that sort of Chan and Ella works pretty much by itself, firms have been asking me to help them. So I've, I've, you know, it's just my way of giving back to the industry, but also, you know, it's a great way to help small businesses by helping the accountants to help them. Over the years, I've, you know, worked with firms and uh, it depends, every firm is different, uh, Joanna. It just depends on, you know, what their challenges are, but it predominantly all comes back to not knowing how to manage that traffic flow through their organization and not being able to lead, lead the organization. And, you know, so it's not one thing, but it's, it's a whole, whole series of things. It's generally 18 steps. I take them through 18 steps from, you know, you start with the end in mind and then you build the organization chart. Then you build your ideal team structure. Then you work out your capacity on, you know, how many staff you need, what kind of staff you need. You don't just throw people at the problem. Often accounting firms just throw people at the problem and uh, that's never the answer. You know, so you've got to get the right people in the right seat in the right bath and then the whole thing just hum, you know, just, just works beautifully. And of course, what comes out of that is everybody wins. You know, you can produce the work at a competitive price to the client, can pay your staff decent wages and you as the business owner, as the shareholder, if you like, you make a decent profit out of it. So everybody, and your creditors get paid on time. And everybody wins just through you know, good management. And uh, you know, and I've seen uh, just putting in our ideal team structure improves the efficiency and the productivity around thirty percent without having to you know put on any extra people or sacking anybody. Just putting people in the right seat in the right bus and making sure that the flow through the organisation is smooth and it's not bouncing around the walls inside the, this pipe, if you like, or the or, or the organisation. Because if it's bouncing around in there. By the time it comes out the other end, there's no more profits left. Can I ask, a, you know, an example then just talking about making changes to an existing organisation to get the right people in the right seat on the right bus, you know, to bring that back to the really practical for some of our businesses and accountants that might be listening in here. Can you think of sort of like a simple example of how you helped implement this in a practice or a business? What it looked like before the the changes that you made practically and then what it looked like afterwards? Okay. So just take this particular practice. This is a typical practice. He's doing about a million dollars in fees and he's just flat out, no time for anything. His staff can't see him because he's always on the phone or in the meetings and production is quite clunky because uh, every time the staff member needs to ask a question to get an answer to a question, he's not available. So they put the work down Then they pick up another job and then the same thing happens. And before you know it, there's 40 or 50 jobs that's half finished. And of course, that affects his turnaround times, affects his whip and affects his cash flow. Now, 
The simple thing for him, for example, is that in this process of managing traffic flow, I'd simply say to him, let's call him Jim. Jim, you know, you're taking all the calls at the moment, but, you know, 80% of those calls can go to a client manager because there's high-level traffic and there's low-level traffic around communication. The low-level traffic are things like, oh, Jim, what's the difference between a, a commercial high purchase and a lease? All right. Or, you know, what's a franking credit? Or, you know, should I pay dividend or should I pay a wage? They're all low level traffic. Now, Jim doesn't have to answer those calls or all those questions. And the senior accountant who's got a little bit of interpersonal skills can answer those. But the traffic goes to Jim and then Jim delegates it down to the staff. Well, don't do that. Drive the traffic to 80% of the traffic to the client manager who can handle 80% of it. And the last 20%, he calls you in or he or she calls you in for the last 20%. Now that alone will save him so much time. But then again, he doesn't know how to drive the traffic because all everyone's calling him and asking him all these low level uh, questions. So the first thing is you design the, your team structure so that you know you find the right person who can handle answer these calls because you not everybody can you know a grinder can do the work and understand you know what the deb, the difference is between a lease and a commercial high purchase but they can't explain that to the client you know a grinder knows what a division seven a problem is but he just he or she can't explain that to the client so you've got to identify that person who can actually talk to the client and communicate to the client. And then you identify the people who are the grinders, you know, they just pump the work out. And then you team them up in the team, but you drive the traffic to this person and then they bring you in for the last 20%, which are the really high-end stuff. So at least 80% is handled by the person that is capable of handling it. And then that leaves you to do the the 20%. You know, often people say to me, oh, I've got to do all the I returns because often an I return may turn into a you know a financial plan or a finance. But it's really silly because maybe 10% of the people will give you that extra bit of business, but they spend 100% of the time going through the whole database to identify the 10%. It's just not efficient. You know, like it's much better to drive the 90% to someone on who's on a lower cost because a, you know, an I return is a very low cost product and you're using a very high cost resource to produce that low cost product. And then you won't make any money out of it. So that's the consequence of it, they people say to me, accountants say to me, oh, there's no money in iReturns. There's lots of money in iReturns as long as you run the business model correctly. So iReturns is not the problem, is the wrong business model that's applied to the iReturn because you're using a high cost resource to do a low cost product and or you sit through you know, a thousand iReturns just to identify the 10% who wants to do financial planning. So it's much sense of, more sensible to go through a checklist and someone who is on a lower cost person can do go through a checklist and identify the 10% and then you drive the 10% to the right person. And that's a lot more efficient. I've seen this applied, you know, I guess if we're looking at ways that this also applies outside of accounting practices, I've seen this applied to businesses who have implemented the concept of help desks as well as, an, as a step between clients who, you know, say, for example, at some sort of tech type service or IT type services or, you know, plumbers or many types of services, businesses, if the inflow comes to a help desk and rather than to the owner or, or to the highest pay and man people who maybe are doing some of the critical part of the work. Correct. It's, it's all managing traffic flow. Whether you're talking about Telstra with 
hundreds or thousands of calls coming through or whether you're talking about an accounting firm with you know people coming in to do their work and there's hundreds and thousands of phone calls coming through or hundreds and thousands of emails it's just managing that traffic flow or whether you know you're running a real estate agent and uh, you know you've got heaps of property managers to sorry property properties to manage and you're getting complaints or tenants calling up and it's just managing all that traffic flow and if you can get a system in place that runs the traffic or the water if you like through a pipe efficiently then it just works beautifully and most of us are good at just doing the work and we know how to do that and that's that's easy but managing that's a different thing you know we, we were never taught to manage at uni we, we were taught to do the work and now all of a sudden you're running a business it's not the technical skills you need it's not the grinding skills you need but it's the management skills you need to manage everything to manage people to manage clients to manage expectations to manage traffic to manage interpersonal skills to manage risk you know it all becomes management but we weren't taught how to do that and, and that's why we fail you know and, and Unfortunately, when you look at the failure rate, it's, it's quite high. The ones that survive, but I still don't say they're successful because they, they might be working 100 hours to keep the whole thing together. That's not success. That's doing it by brute force. And that's not success because you pay a price. And that is you either, you either get a divorce with your family and never see your kids or, you know, or, or something. There is a price that you pay. And that's not success. And so tell me, well, firstly, maybe if you can just paint this picture, you touched on it earlier in relation to obviously you went from this 100-hour days being completely swamped to this new world where things run run smoothly. And tell us what your life looks like these days or, or once you've got the position in that point. So firstly, how long did it take you to completely reinvent the business? I suppose when I was about my fourth year, I was we're at the crossroads. I was really struggling. From that point on when I sort of I had this epiphany, if you like, of you know, I was reading a few books, talked to a few people, and then it all sort of came together for me. Uh, from there to when I completely didn't work in it anymore, probably another four years, four years, and then, yeah. It's- wow. Well, that's easy. <laughs> Any of us can do four years completely. <laughs> Work ourselves out of the business. Okay, we're on board, Ed. We're on board. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a combination of uh, when I do the coaching thing, I do it all day discovery and a planning session. And I, I start with the end in mind and I say, okay, what kind of life do you want and what kind of income do you want? And everybody's different. You know, someone might say 150000 a year and some other people say a million and fifty thousand a year. So depending on what your goals are, well, it'll, it'll take longer. So I, I don't live a very expensive lifestyle. and um, very comfortable uh, where I am, so I didn't need a huge. Uh, uh, in other words, my, my income today is beyond my way beyond what I'd ever expected because I didn't have great ambitions of you know earning heaps and heaps of money. But you know what I am earning today is it's way beyond what I ever beyond my expectations. So I've been very lucky and very blessed. That's why I do the coaching and because it's my way of giving back to the industry. That's been very good to me, and I, and I feel that by coaching accounting firms, they can apply the same principles and coach their clients and their clients will then run better businesses and they'll be better employers. They can, you know, make more money. They can pay better wages. They can increase their business. They can hire more people. The knock-on effect is just huge. That's why I chose to do this. But I'm going to 
give myself a plug here, a shameless plug. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna I'm do, I do apologise. <laughs> no, no, we want to give you a shameless plug. <laughs> you know, it, it took many years to put all this together, and, and when I was coaching firms, it was it's quite labour intensive, and and I wasn't able to get out to as many people as possible and I thought well if I if I fall off the perch and die tomorrow then you know there's such good things that we're doing here so what I did was I spent the last 18 months with a, a mate who who actually I, I coached uh, a few years ago and he's just turned his practice you know around and he's no longer working in it like me and so he, he saw the you know the value in what we're doing so he encouraged me to, to to document all this these things and so we've documented it all in in a program called wise mentoring and uh, so it's a network of accounting firms. And if people want to have a look at it, um, go, go to wisementoring.com and go to the website and uh, there's a seven-day trial. But what it is, is it's made up of various components. The main one is the, the WISE Vault. So WISE is W-I-Z-E, a WISE Vault. And in the uh, Vault, there's hundreds of videos and tools and instructions and spreadsheet, everything that you need to run the accounting firm and all the instructions that go with it and videos to show you how to use, for example, the capacity planner. So there's a capacity planner to work out, you know, how many staff you need in your organization and to work out what kind of staff you need because you don't just hire people. You've got to know, you've got to bring in complementary skills to build this team. So, and then there's a video on how to do that. Then then we've got Wise Live, which is a once a month webinar where people call in and they can ask questions and, and then we talk, we pick a topic and then we talk about the topic. And the last one we did was, you know, how do you manage from bottom up, not from top down? You know, most people do it with control and command. It's top down, but you want the business to run by itself. So it's got to be done by from bottom up. So we talked about that. And so we we talk about different topics and then another part of it is Wise Tribe and Wise Tribe is a Facebook. If you have some questions, you go onto Wise Tribe and and uh, you know I provide all the answers and other people contribute. So it's a network of like-minded accounting firms sharing their IP and you know most of the 99.999% of the IP comes from Chan and Ada and myself in, in terms of you know how you do it. So it's a nice little network. The you know Facebook's quite uh, quite busy now. So I'm, <laughs> I've never used Facebook before, and it's, it's now dragged me into Facebook. I didn't you know like I didn't even know what it what it was. You know like I hear about it, and you know kids are using it and all this kind of stuff. And I just I'm just not into that kind of stuff. So anyway, I'm, I'm a Facebook user now. So heaven forbid. Would <laughs> work it. You've become social. I love it. Social media is here. <laughs> uh, yeah, but it's very economical. That's the idea was to get it cheap and. Um, to get it out there because, you know, when you're doing coaching, it's very, um, not a, well, it's labor intensive, but it's also very expensive. And, and this is a, like a self online teaching thing, teaches yourself, guides you, and you've got help as well. Just encourage everyone to go and have a look. 99 cents for not seven days just to, to navigate the system and see what's in there. Can't get cheaper than that. <laughs> and so if anyone's interested in that, we'll put links through from our show notes, either on your phone or head over to our website at talkinglaw.com.au. And at this episode, we link straight through to Wise Mentoring, where you'll be able to um, check out Wise Mentoring and Ed's program on there. If you would like to recreate some of the flexibility he has created with his life <laughs> while still having this fabulous <laughs> business machine running uh, in the background. 
I just want to say a massive thank you for coming on board Talking Law today. While some of the things that we've been talking about here have been related specifically to accounting practices, I think every single thing we spoke about is as applicable to any general business and any SME as it is to an accounting practice. I just think there's some really wise words in what you've talked about. And obviously, you know, it's very doable if you were able to go from crazy 100 hour weeks to the business running like clockwork in four years. I think that's a good message for every business owner just to look, step back every now and again, look at the big picture of what you're creating and work out whether there's an easier way and a better way. Thank you, Ed. Thank you so much for coming on board today. You know, Jonah, I remember saying to you, you know, a while ago that I don't believe you're a lawyer because you've got a personality. <laughs> I stand by that. <laughs> Thanks, Ed. I, um, I, I, I take that as a compliment. <laughs> it certainly is. Well, that's it for our discussion with Ed Chan of Chan and Naylor. Just as a quick recap, in this episode, we talked all about how you can grow your business from that beast that is chaining you to the table for maybe up to 100 hours a day, just like Ed when he was in the early days of his accounting practice, all the way through to building a business that served his lifestyle needs and that ran smoothly in the background while freeing him up to focus on other things. Ed talked to us today all about finding your key skills and getting into flow. We went through the concept of grinding, minding and finding and that importance of breaking down these three areas within your accounting practice or business. We also talked about rather than trying to find superstar staff that can do everything well, what you really want to focus on is working out what the components are in your business and then finding staff to work in each of those individual components, staff who excel in each of those individual areas so that you can go narrow and deep rather than shallow and broad. We also talked about the benefit of knowing how to manage the traffic flow in a business, the importance of leading and the importance of getting the right people in the right seat in the right bus. Well, that's it for our discussion today. I really hope you found a lot there of usefulness to your practice or your business. If you'd like more information about this topic, head over to our website at talkinglaw.com.au where you'll be able to download a transcript of this podcast episode if you'd like to read it in more detail. There you'll also find a link through to Chan and Naylor if you're interested in speaking to one of the accountants there or to Wise Mentoring, the network that Ed spoke about that might be applicable to you if you're an accounting practice. And at talkinglaw.com.au, you'll also find details of how to contact our lawyers at Aspect Legal. If you are gearing up for growth in your business and you need a legal team to help build the foundations as you build for growth. Finally, if you enjoyed what you heard today, then I invite you to head over to iTunes or your favorite podcast player where you can leave us a review if you really enjoyed it and subscribe if you'd like to receive notifications of these podcast episodes right through to your phone each time a new one is released. Well, that's it for me. Thanks again for listening in. You've been listening to Joanna Oki and Talking Law, a podcast brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. See you next time. Are you looking for a top quality legal team to assist you in your organisation? 
Aspect Legal is an innovative commercial legal practice that specialises in providing fast and professional services for their clients. If you'd like to chat about how we might be able to assist you, simply head over to our website at aspectlegal.com.au to book in a time for a free discussion with one of our lawyers. Thanks for listening to Talking Law. Tune in next time for more smart legal tips and tricks to keep you clear of those legal landmines. If you want to get a download of today's show notes, head over to talkinglaw.com.au. Information in this podcast is general in nature, not legal advice. If you want advice for your business, visit talkinglaw.com.au.